Welcome to Marvin Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service brought to you from downtown Tyler, Texas. My name is Doug Baker and I'm the lead pastor. Today we continue a sermon series entitled Biblical Conjunctions. I'll be addressing the enemy of the soul, the world. Jesus said, you do not belong to this world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Let's join in as the message is already underway. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So good to have you here today as we continue our sermon series on biblical conjunctions. The idea that the world passes away, but those who do the will of the Father will live forever. Will you pray with me? Lord, in these moments, as we talk about the world as an enemy to the soul and our spiritual lives, this may be some hard stuff to hear. So God, open our eyes, give us wisdom, speak, Holy Spirit, into this message, into our hearts, help us to hear your truth for us. Lord, make us uncomfortable, if, it, if you will, but help us to grow, most importantly, that we may be transformed into the likeness of Christ. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue the sermon series, I just want to connect the dots of where all this uh, goes and how it all fits together. You know, last week we talked about the enemy of the soul, the flesh, and uh, this week I'm talking about the enemy of the soul, the world, and, and next week it'll be the devil. And that the way in which all this fits is all together is this idea that, um, well, the, the devil gives deceptive ideas and half-truths tries to get us to buy into those half-truths that appeal to sometimes our fleshly desires, our disordered loves, if you will. And then the world comes alongside as kind of an echo chamber where we're all talking about the things that we like, the things that we want, the things that make us happy. And that is where all this uh, fits together as an enemy of the soul. The world creates this feedback, if you will, a loop where we're telling each other what we want to hear the justifications, the rationalizations for our behaviors, a world that elevates ideas much above God's truth, demonizes human beings at times, and seeks its own will, and even presents its own saviors to our problems, rather than recognizing the only true Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies Again, which has inspired this series, asks a couple of great questions for us as we wrestle with the enemy of the soul, the world. In what ways have I been assimilated into the host culture of this world? And where have I drifted so that my identity is not found in Jesus Christ or in God, but my identity is found maybe in my work or my other things of pleasure or whatever they might be? Am I struggling to do God's will? Do I look for my inheritance to come from this earth or from our Heavenly Father and His kingdom? To truly understand our Scripture passage today, we must acknowledge that the biblical worldview is one which I would call as a dualistic worldview. And what I mean by that is there is the assumption of two contrasting forces at odds with each other that are seeking to influence everyone. 
There are forces of light and there are forces of darkness. There are truths and there are lies. There is life and there is death. There is the present age and the age to come. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of this world. I believe that when Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived among us and showed us the way and spoke God's truth and lived out that truth before us, he made a very clear declaration. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. It is closer than you think. It is already here. I've inaugurated it. It is yet not fully completed. That's where the church comes in to help continue that process of what Jesus began so long ago to bring another kingdom. Friends, you are not of this world. Your allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to the building of his kingdom on this earth. That impacts the decisions you make, the way you spend your money, the way you allocate your time. God is calling us away from the world, out of the world, if you will. In fact, we'll hear today the word ekklesia, which is Greek meaning church, those that are called out of the world to serve the risen Savior. From our call to worship this morning from John 17, Jesus came not to take us out of the world, but he came to take the world out of us. He comes to bring us salvation. We are not of the world, and this is a major New Testament theme. So when we heard the words in the scriptures that Brandy read earlier, you do not belong to this world, says Jesus. That is why the world may hate you. And then the sermon text, do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the world, uh, the love of the Father is not in them. Let me just say this. The understanding in the biblical worldview is that the world is to be viewed negatively. It has a negative influence in our lives, a mindset that sometimes is easier to understand if the culture just wasn't so Christianized. But friends, the culture is changing, and we're going to talk about that towards the end of the message. Let me offer a point of clarity. I am not a hater of the world. I love the world just as the famous verse from John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave. The world is truly an amazing place. The world is the place that we can breathe out, as I said two weeks ago, carbon dioxide and have it come through a process that only God could invent through trees and all around us and turn it into oxygen that we could breathe again to sustain our lives. A world, a planet, 70% water. We need water to survive. And in God's amazing way that human beings could not create, God takes the water of the oceans, takes it up into the clouds of the sky, brings it down as fresh rainwater to plenish our souls and to give us water to drink and to, and to, to water our plants and our crops and our yards. Come on, Lord. I say, bring the rain. We need the rain here in East Texas. May that be our prayer today. Come on, Lord. We need your help with that. But also the fact that you are made, you are made in God's image. You are a part of God's creation, and he loves you enough that he has put a place in your heart to long for him. And when you find that life in Jesus Christ, there is a life that is abundant that, oh, no, that this world cannot offer. That is the heart of God, a God who loves the world. 
But we're instructed through the Scriptures clearly in the New Testament to not see the world as our home. And that's what I want to talk about, to not love the world. What does that mean? And biblical scholars would agree to, to this idea of the world and then the Greek, the cosmos, is best interpreted in the New Testament as the practices and the standards that are associated with a secular culture. And what I mean by a secular culture is when we intentionally try to push faith and God out of arenas, not welcome in school, not welcome in politics, not welcome here in the office place. That is your private business. You do your religion yourself, but it is not to have a place here. That is where we push God out of the arena of the world he's created and to make it a privatized individual thing. That's secularism. But Eugene Peterson in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, describes the world as an atmosphere and a mood that has crept into us like a cancerous disease. That's why the Apostle John, here in this letter of 1 John, says to us in verse 16 of chapter 2, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, don't blame it on God. It is from the world. And it comes through the means of the flesh, of which we talked a lot about last week. I won't reiterate a lot of that, just to say that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, we all can understand how the world is impacting us and working against us. Whether it's reality television shows or other types of entertainment, the entertainment industry always pushing the envelope to put things before your eyes which may not be appropriate for you to see. The pop-ups as you search on the internet may not always be appropriate. The algorithms trying to get you to entice you to keep seeing things to be a compulsive buyer. That's the impression of the world working itself on you to get you to do what it wants you to do. And I appreciate Anquinette's children's message this morning, but we are reminded that we have a choice to make. And friends, the world is always wanting you to make certain choices, no doubt. The pride of life. I'm just so grateful that, uh, uh, I don't know, the phrase, you are, who are you to tell me what to believe or do? You know, I just want to say that if we reflect on our nation today and the lack of respect for authority, whether it be school teachers, whether it be peace officers, whether it be those in government leadership, whatever it is, I know it's right for me or the customer is always right. Friends, that is pride that is at work. John Mark Comer described the world as a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, social norms that are integrated into a mainstream and eventually institutionalized into a culture corrupted by twin sins, if you will, rebellion against God and redefinition of what is good and what is evil. We live in a world today where there are no moral absolutes. They've been called into question. The new authority is the authentic self. We have lost our sense of direction other than our own emotional rudders and our own whims and desires and loves which often lead us astray. So that's the world in which we found ourselves. So I've made the case, Christ has called us to something better. 
Christ has called us to a greater life, a life that aligns itself with him as our Lord and God's teachings as our playbook. And so I want to just go back and kind of build a bigger case to help you see where we have come, how we've gotten here. The interesting thing about this discussion is that in the time in which these words were written by the Apostle John, in the time which John wrote the gospel, which uh, Brandy read for us just a moment ago, that was the first century. Let's talk about what it was like to be a Christian for, uh, in the first century. That's why Jesus would say, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. But let me remind you that in the first century A.D., Christian leaders were not only being persecuted, like Stephen and Apostle Paul and Peter, they were being martyred. They were being killed. Under the Roman Empire, especially under the rule of Domitian, the uh, late first century, persecution of Christians ramped up, especially because of Caesar worship. The Pax Romana had an interesting twist to it. If you would just burn incense once a year and say, Caesar is Lord, everything was fine. But if you refused to do so, you could be turned in by others' authorities and be punished for that. For Christians, this became a flashpoint for many who suffered because they refused to say anyone was Lord except the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, mob mentality swayed many to hate Christians in the first century because there were many rumors that were spread about this unique group of people that was growing in number. They were disloyal because they refused to call Caesar Lord. Christians were said to be cannibals because they would join together and share in a meal in which they spoke of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. They were accused of flagrant immorality as they gathered for love feasts that were misunderstood with those words, greet everyone with a holy kiss. They were accused of doing more debaucherous acts. The zeal of evangelism was understood of tampering with family relationships. They were accused of dividing up families, splitting up homes, breaking up marriages. And when Rome was, was burned in 64 and burned significantly, it was the Christians that were blamed by Caesar Nero for the, for the, the blaze. And friends, the hatred of Christians grew. That is what Philip Reef describes as a pre-Christian culture. But friends, now we've grown into and appreciate a Christianized culture. We celebrate that Constantine in 313 A.D. recognized Christianity. Ten years later, it became the official religion of Rome. And by 380, there were punishments assigned to those who did pagan worship. And as Christianity spread with the blessing of Rome across the nations and into the Western world, we became the celebrants of that. But the world has never fully been Christianized because there were always secular ideas and values mixed in. And even today, we realize, as we've been doing our work in Tanzania, that there was a group of people called the Daiso people who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that Christianity was growing alongside the Muslim faith, the Buddhist faith, the Hindu faith, and other world religions. So even though we have been blessed by a Christianized nation, we know that the whole world has not been Christianized. But friends, we now live in what has been called a post-Christian era. 
Mark Sayers, in his book, Disappearing Church, From Cultural Revelance to Gospel Resilience, states, post-Christian culture attempts to retain the solace of faith while gutting it of its costs, its commitments, and its restraints that the gospel places upon us, choosing instead the freedom of the will. I'll do whatever I want. I'll make my faith out however I want. A little of this, a little of that. Thank you. You have no business telling me what to believe. Post-Christianity intuitively yearns for the justice and the shalom of the kingdom while defending the reign of the individual will. We want the kingdom, but we do not want the king. In the words of John Mark Comer, our current culture is a reaction against Christianity. We are now the stereotypical adolescent kicking against our parents' authority, railing against their flaws while still living in their house and eating their food. Could that be said any better? We know that Christianity has done much for this nation and the building of schools, non-for-profits, hospitals, all kinds of ways of humanitarian aid, and yet we are getting the pushback of a secular culture who doesn't want anything to do with the church. The ecclesia, friends, the emerging culture as we find ourselves post-Christian now may once again be called out instead of nominally mixed in with the world and its ways. Maybe the church will become the counterculture to the anti-culture. There were Jews in exile, and there were those who were remnants to the faithful, and we may become a creative minority in the future who love extravagantly, and we bless the culture we find ourselves, but no longer from the center. It may be from the margins. So here is the conjunction for today. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God endures forever. What is the will of God? If the world is not our home, then where do we find life, meaning, and significance? Friends, rather than living in the world and doing you do you, you don't tread on me, you speak your truth, Christians surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to His authority in our lives. We follow the Word of God. That's what makes us distinctly different from others. And we pledge our support and allegiance to Christ's kingdom as the body of Christ grows and fulfills its ministry while each person does their part as the Holy Spirit has gifted them. From a culture of celebrated individualism and isolation, we join the church, we join the class, we join a small group, we join a band, we join a small group of believers that gather around us to encourage us. And let me tell you, this past week when I showed up to pray or to be with a person waiting for someone to come out of surgery, I was blessed to find three of the band members there alongside them, encouraging them, waiting them while their spouse was in surgery. Friends, that's the church that we are called to be. Shoulder to shoulder, working through our hardship, working to better our world making a difference for the kingdom. Our, our identity is to be children of God in the family of God, sinners for whom Christ died, 
but saints striving to live on to perfection. And as we grow, we desire to share the gospel of Christ with all that we encounter. We are a holy people, a people set apart for God's service. To be holy means to be different and set apart from the world. This means how we spend our money, how we use our time, how we steward our power, how we are faithful to our marriages, how we are committed to raising our children in the Christian faith is what the world is waiting to see. We offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, not compromised to the world or conformed to the pattern of the world. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds and by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. We abide in Christ as a branch abides in the vine, drawing life and nutrients and the ability to produce fruit because of the Lord's goodness in us. How does the scripture end? The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Father, God, Mino, there's this word Mino, that's what I want to talk about with us. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. That is the same word that Jesus uses in John 15 when he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you me know, if you live in me, and I me know live in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's interesting that these same words are found in the farewell discourse when Jesus is praying for the disciples and when Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go prepare a place for you, I'll be back to take you to be with me so that where I am, you might be with me also, that we might live together. Our identity, friends, starts here in our Christian baptism. We live for Jesus. We die for Jesus. And we may be out of step with the world, but we're following the one who offers abundant life. Pastor and sociologist, social activist, Tony Campolo wrote a compelling book in 1986, Who Switched the Price Tags is what it's called. He tells the illustration of somebody sneaking into a department store, switching all the price tags in the middle of the night so that when the customers came in the next morning, everything that was expensive was inexpensive, and everything that was inexpensive was now expensive, and, and people were perplexed and confused. He uses that illustration to talk about the world and its ways, things like family, faith, church, offering oneself to the community, things that were of once time great value don't seem to be as valuable in this world, in this discard-as-we-go world in which we live. Inconsequential, if you will. The tags need to be put back on right places, and it's about Christians following God's teachings and following Jesus our Savior that brings a witness to the community in a very, very confusing times. Friends, we are not of the world. We are called out of the world. Our faithfulness is to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and to his word. So no matter what's happening, we are to remain, to live, and abide in Christ, who will keep us with him forever. There's the call. Don't drift. Don't be assimilated into the life of the world. Stay connected. Stay connected with Jesus. Stay connected with the church. 
Stay connected with a band, a class meeting, a Sunday school class, a group of individuals who have a common goal to live for Jesus because the world is a challenging place to live. Thanks be to God for showing us his way through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Thank you for watching our broadcast this morning. I'd like to personally invite you to join us for Sunday morning worship services at 8.30, 11 on our campus in downtown Tyler, Texas. I hope you'll visit our website to learn more about our church and ways that you can partner with us to make a difference for God's kingdom here in Tyler and around the world. May God bless you and may you have a great day.